We are in sweet, sweet vote number nine here in the House of Representatives as Kevin McCarthy has failed eight times so far to become the Speaker of the House. Hello, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Of course, plenty of things happening. The House of Representatives still the big news of the moment. The ninth vote is currently underway. Real quick. Um, it looks like there is a shift. Now, I heard earlier today to start keeping your eyes on Oklahoma. And as it turns out, uh, Republican, I think it's Andrew Hearn, of Oklahoma is now being put forward, it appears, as a compromise candidate. I don't, Fox doesn't have an active count going right now, uh, but I do see that the uh, the vote is underway and the same folks are still, uh, the same folks are still standing up. But here's what's interesting. Hearn is an interesting choice. He could actually get to 218 votes if McCarthy drops out. Scalise is actually getting a lot of pushback from the conservative side. I mentioned that yesterday. But Hearn could very well be a good compromise candidate. Now, here is the thing that's been bothering me all day, though. And I know because I've read some of your comments on the KPL app chat. I've read some of the comments online. I put a lot of comments online and got feedback on it. A lot of folks listening to Moon Graffon this morning were actually pretty upset with Clay Higgins. Clay Higgins came on Moon Graffon's show and gave an interview about the speaker's race and was very adamant that he was going to continue to support McCarthy. I think what is interesting, and he probably didn't mean to do this, but he did it anyway, is he admitted that under a McCarthy speakership, he's going to be the chair of the House Oversight Committee. He actually said that today. He said, who's in, in his rant about who the archangel is, which I still don't understand how archangels actually come into it, he went on about it's not going to be Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan's going to be on the Judiciary Committee. It's not, you know, I've got to be, uh, I've got to be in charge of investigations on the House Oversight Committee. That's an admission that he has been told he will be chair of the House Oversight Committee, which is interesting given that he's not the ranking Republican in the last Congress. He was not the most senior Republican in the last conference on on the last Congress on the House Oversight Committee. So that's an interesting admission. But Higgins said a lot of things that really bothered a lot of people, a lot of people who are really good conservatives who normally are very big Clay Higgins supporters. One of the most troubling things he said is that it was not a very adult position to vow to never vote for somebody. I'm pretty sure that Clay Higgins has vowed to never vote for Joe Biden or any Democrat. In fact, Clay Higgins is one of the Republicans who voted not to certify the 2020 election. 
So by his own definition, it's not a very adult position. What's more, he talks a lot about it's up to Congress, it's up to us in Washington, D.C., when the fact of the matter is he is a member of the House of Representatives. And he is supposed to represent the people in his district. How many of you have been con- have contacted Clay Higgins' office? How many of you have been contacted or been invited to a town hall where he talked about it? How many of you have gotten polled from somebody who may be tied to Clay Higgins asking about supporting Kevin McCarthy? There's been no effort by Higgins' office to see what his constituents actually want. Clay Higgins is voting because he's been promised power in Washington, D.C. And that goes back to what I've been saying about Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is very transactional in nature. Kevin McCarthy is making transaction after transaction after transaction because he believes it's his turn, damn it. Higgins went on and on for a long time on Moon's show today about how the 20 Republicans were holding up the will of Congress. It's not the will of Congress. It's not the will of the majority. In fact, the system was specifically written up by the founders to make sure the majority had a check in its power. And Higgins, who describes himself as a constitutionalist, is ignoring the historical underpinnings of a lot of the checks and balances in the Constitution. Not just the checks and balances between the different branches, but the checks and balances in the system that keep the majority from drowning out the minority. And that includes in an intra-party fight. Higgins came on to Moon's show today and talked purely in self-interest. He made a fundamental mistake when he told Moon, think of a radio company like who you work for. The people at the top, they, they're the ones who make the decisions, not the audience. That clearly shows how little he knows about the radio industry because have you ever heard of ratings? If the people didn't like Moon, Moon wouldn't be on the air. He would be getting no business. If somebody's in charge of a radio company and their radios are all dying, their radio stations are all dying because nobody listens, that person gets fired because the audience has spoken. But Higgins is now speaking with the exact same entitlement that Kevin McCarthy is speaking with, that he feels that that Kevin McCarthy is entitled to it and that he is entitled for his decision to stand with McCarthy and that the person he's voting for is entitled to because that person has guaranteed him a spot on the House Oversight Committee. If you want to make biblical allegory, let's talk about the 30 pieces of silver that it takes to vote for somebody who is clearly not conservative because you've been given a seat of power. Let's not talk archangels. Let's talk about how it actually betrays your conservative base 
to go and support Kevin McCarthy when there are more viable alternatives, but even when you're not worried about the alternatives, just knowing that somebody who is not a conservative, who has no principles, they're the ones who don't deserve that spot. Nobody's entitled to be the speaker just because they've been there for so long. And yes, this is the ninth vote, and McCarthy's not going to win it. In fact, there's the headline on Fox right now. McCarthy suffers another defeat on ninth ballot for House Speaker. That's nine times in three days, ten times in eight years. Ten times he's gone up before his colleagues in the House, and they've said no. It's not on the 20 to move over to McCarthy's side. McCarthy has made a lot of concessions. And what's hilarious is now the moderate Republicans are mad at McCarthy for offering so much in concessions because it's taking power away from them. And so now they're starting to vote present instead of voting for McCarthy. But for Higgins to come here on this station... On the Moon Graffon show, statewide, across the entire state of Louisiana, and say what he said. That it is up to Congress, it is not up to you and me, it's not up to a minority. 80% vote for it, it should go for it. That it should be McCarthy, that's it, no discussion. That is anti-democratic. And it flies in the face of the actual reason we have a constitution. But Higgins admitted when he let slip that he's needed to be to be in charge of investigations on the oversight committee. He admitted that that was what his vote was. That's what that's what bought his vote. That was the payment for his vote. And I know there are a lot of folks out there who like Clay Higgins. I know there's a lot of people who want to defend Clay Higgins, but you cannot defend voting for somebody who is not a conservative, who uses Democrat votes to pass big spending bills all the time, and say that's the most conservative option you have. It is a lie. And the people of his congressional district deserve a whole lot better than to be lied to, to their faces, by their representative. 232-1542, let's go ahead and take a break. When we get back, your calls, your messages on the app chat, and more about what's happening in Washington, D.C. And here in the state, we've got to talk about the governor's race coming up here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the program, yes, Kevin McCarthy has lost his ninth vote for speaker. And I don't know if they're going to, I think they're going to try to adjourn for the day again. Not sure on that. We are waiting for more information on that, but I want to move on. Uh, We've got a few minutes. I want to move on to the next thing. Again, your calls, your messages, if you want, um, you know, somebody asked during Moon's show this morning uh, on the KPL app chat, no one has asked the most important question. Who do you want to be third in line to the presidency? Is it McCarthy? And no, that's, I don't know. Now, one of the funny things is uh, a lot of the pearl clutchers uh, who claim to be Republican, 
but uh, are anti uh, conservative. Really, really, they're they're so anti Trump. They're pretty much anti conservative in every way at this point. Uh, there are people who attack McCarthy for not being anti Trump, but are now defending him, saying among other things, the lack of having a speaker is a national security risk. Because, I kid you not, there is now nobody who's third in line to the presidency. It's a major national security risk. Well, first of all, you can skip over that person. If there's nobody there, you move on to the next person. That's how it works. Secondly, and this is what's more important, the national security risk of not having a Speaker of the House is absurdly stupid because the legislative branch does not have any control over the national security apparatus of the United States. That is all in the executive branch. So if there is some national security risk aside from needing the third in line to the presidency to be seated, it gets taken care of in the executive branch. There is no constitutional crisis right now. This is how the system is supposed to work. As Moon pointed out talking to Clay this morning, this isn't I mean, it's rare. This is the first time in 100 years it's happened, but it's not abnormal. This is actually how the process is supposed to work. There is a reason they have set these thresholds. And again, I go back to what I was saying in the first segment. The fact of the matter is the system was designed by the Federalists, by the founders, to make sure the majority is never able to drown out the minority, whether it's a five-seat margin or a hundred-seat margin. There are ways to make sure the minority is never completely drowned out. That is built into the system for a reason. Now, moving on, we'll we'll start to get into it now. Of course, we're close to our bottom of the hour news break, but I want to get into it. The governor's race. As of yesterday, I I broke the news yesterday. It became official news uh, after my show. But I told you guys at the end of my show yesterday, it looked like John Kennedy was reaching out to people saying he's not going to run. Then, of course, the news broke a little bit later. John Kennedy emailed supporters, said he was not going to run for governor. And, of course, it's going to be a rat race now. It's going to be a very hectic election season. So what was what was Kennedy thinking? In all likelihood, Kennedy was never interested in running for governor. This is two election cycles now, though, that he has teased it and his people have teased it, and it's kept people out of the race. Well, now look where we are. We are firmly into 2023, and the only declared Republican candidate is still Jeff Landry. Now, by next week, I imagine at least Billy Nungesser will have declared. But nobody wanted to potentially run against John Kennedy. But everybody seems to want to run against Jeff Landry, especially now that the state GOP has gone ahead and made their decision. But the thing about it is this. Kennedy, by teasing he might run, allowed Jeff Landry to get more momentum. I'm not saying it was coordination between the two. I'm not saying this was the plan all along. I'm just saying that it happens to work out that way. And if it was a plan, it was not that bad a plan. Kennedy keeping people out of the race for two months 
allowed Jeff Landry to solidify support, solidify the state GOP behind him, and be able to get his ground game going. There's already billboards going up. There's one. There was, a, I think, a digital billboard here in town with Jeff Landry for governor on it. We're now at the point where Jeff Landry is firmly established as the Republican candidate right now. And the longer that Billy Nungesser, John Schroeder, Sharon Hewitt, Garen Graves, whoever else decides to take, the less time they have to consolidate any Republican support behind them. And so what I want to do, because we're almost at our bottom of the hour news break, when we get back, I want to talk more about that and talk more of the strategy of what's going into the 2023 election season, because while everybody else is looking at 2024, and there's news on that front as well that I want to get to, we still have an election cycle here in Louisiana. So let's talk about that when we get back here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Stick around. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So 2024 is going to be a big year, obviously. It's going to be a miserable year. If 2022 was bad, 2024 is going to be a nightmare. Please, God, let it come and go as quickly as possible. Uh, The Democrats have 23 Senate seats that are up for grabs versus the Republicans having only 10. And most of the swing states, again, are on the Democratic side. One of the seats that was not expected to be a swing state, was not expected to be much of a problem, was U.S. Senator Debbie uh, Stabenow. But she, at 72 years old, has decided to retire from the Senate and make way for younger candidates and activists to take part in the political process in Washington, D.C. So U.S. Senator Democrat Debbie Stabenow has announced that she is retiring. This is a bit of a problem for the Democratic Party. Michigan was not one of the seats they wanted to defend. Now, in the polling leading up to November... Michigan looked like it was in play. It was not as much in play when the final results came. But again, if you look at the candidate quality and candidate funding problems, it is easy to see a path forward in Michigan. The problem from the people I know who pay attention to Michigan Republican Party politics more than I do is that the party up there is in kind of disarray. They keep putting forward bad candidates. They don't really have much of a strategy. And as a result, uh, they don't have much faith that a good candidate is going to come forward to replace Stabenow. What's also interesting here is that Joe Manchin's seat is in play, and he hasn't decided whether or not he's running or not. I imagine we would know, we'll, we'll hear that within the next couple of months. If Manchin decides he's retiring, you can almost bet West Virginia is going to be a flip. The state is fairly conservative, but they keep uh, reelecting him because he votes for their interests when he needs to and with his party the rest of the time. But Manchin got screwed on the Inflation Reduction Act. Remember when I mentioned a, a week or so ago that part of the problem with the Inflation Reduction Act is that the electric cars were all uh, supposed to be largely American-made. That was a provision from Manchin, supposed to help war- help increase American independence in the energy sector. Now, the bureaucracies are coming out saying, eh, nah, 
we're going to rescind that rule. We're going to alter that rule a little bit. And Manchin's furious. So Manchin may retire because he's done with it. I mean, he can get a cushy lobbyist job for the energy sector easily. But that is all more than a year away. Right now, Louisiana is looking at a political battle on his doorstep. John Bell Edwards is term limited. Praise be. I won't rehash everything on Moon's show today, but he did have a, a nice bit there talking about, I think it was the, the Democratic Party chairperson talking about all the things that John Bell Edwards did, worked on infrastructure, brought jobs to the state. Um, what? What jobs? People are leaving. Uh, infrastructure is no better now than it was. And don't say it's because of a vote from the federal government because it's not that bill passed. We're still not seeing the money from it. We still haven't gotten all the money to repair Lake Charles and other parts of the state absolutely destroyed by hurricanes. John Bell Edwards is great on storm response, and that's it. Everything else he's done from education to infrastructure to jobs, he's chased jobs out of the state. Infrastructure has gotten worse. School scores across the state didn't do so hot. Could have been a lot better, but he, like other places, shut district. He shut the state down. And kids were out of school for three months. Now, granted, thanks to the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education fighting back, we were able to open schools much earlier than a lot of other states, and so we were able to mitigate our damage. That wasn't because of John Bill Edwards. There's nothing right now that John Bill Edwards can actually take credit for, honestly. He can take credit for all he wants, but when you look at it, honestly, when you look at the data, there's nothing that he's touched that's gotten better except for dependency on federal dollars. So naturally, this is the perfect time for a Republican to step forward, unify the state Republican Party, and win election for governor. The problem is there's too many Republicans who want to run for the job. Look at their ages. Billy Nungesser, how old is he now? Does he have enough? I mean, he's about to turn, I think, 60. If he doesn't win this time, does he have another eight years? No, he'll retire before then. Jeff Landry could run again, but he's got all the momentum right now. And again, I think it's largely due in part to John Kennedy not really deciding whether or not, or saying that he wasn't sure yet, but really I think he was sure. John Kennedy basically helping keep the field clear. And because of that, Jeff Landry has gotten all the momentum. And what we're now seeing is that there's a bunch of Republicans that are going to have to come from behind on this. And I'm not sure that they can. I always thought Jeff Landry was going to be the favorite going in because you had basically three names that had always been out there. Jeff Landry, John Schroeder, and Billy Nungesser. The two conservative choices are Jeff Landry or John Schroeder. The problem with John Schroeder is that he's not the stand-up-and-fight type of conservative that Jeff Landry is. Jeff Landry has a much higher profile on the conservative scene because he is a stand-up-and-fight guy, has fought John Bell Edwards the entire way through, has fought uh, on in federal, uh, in federal lawsuits, has led the way in several of those, had, was one of the preeminent attorneys general in the, uh, in the deposition of Anthony Fauci. 
He's been out there. He's kept his name out there. He's been doing a lot of fighting. His office has been doing a lot of fighting, and he's been building up his profile because of it. John Schroeder, obviously fiscally conservative, obviously knows where the key issues are because he took the fight to BlackRock and their ESG and removed Louisiana's investment money from BlackRock. It's a drop in the bucket compared to the assets BlackRock controls, but it was still a statement that needed to be made. But Schroeder did stand against Jeff Landry when Landry was saying we should not be granting uh, we should not be granting bond approvals to New Orleans when they have threatened to not follow the law, the abortion law. And John Schroeder stood up against that. I think that was a mistake because now that is something Jeff Landry can easily use to say, I am more conservative than John Schroeder. And if you need any proof, look at the, elect- the abortion issue. And I guarantee that will hurt him. Now, the question is whether or not the Republicans are actually going to be infighting because we've seen what a disaster Republican infighting has been for the last two election cycles. It has given us John Bell Edwards twice. The accidental governor, the best Democrat Republicans could have gotten into office both times. But you see. I'm not sure if the Republican infighting this time necessarily means a loss for Republicans. In 2000 and what was it? 15? Yeah, 2015. John Bell Edwards was up against David Vitter, whose name was absolute mud across the most most of the state. Yes, conservatives liked Vitter. But among the independent and moderate voters in the state, they did not want to be associated with David Vitter. I know several Republicans who were tired of it. I know several people who never vote for Democratic governors who either didn't vote or voted for John Bell Edwards. Because, among other things, they thought it was entirely selfish of Vitter to put his family through all of that again with another big public election. And then we get to 2019. And Republicans were so furious. Republicans in Ralph Abrams' district, congressional district, were so furious with how Eddie Rispone trashed Abraham and not Edwards that they either didn't vote or they voted for Edwards in 2019. And that gave Edwards a second term. Because say what you want about the the election machine, the campaign machine that John Bell Edwards was able to put together. The fact of the matter is he doesn't get across the finish line without Republicans flipping and voting for Edwards. It's just a fact. Because you had a flawed candidate in 2015, because you had a terribly run campaign in 2019, John Bell Edwards was able to get elected thanks to Republicans. I'm not so sure that's the case in 2023. I'm not so sure that Jeff Landry can be slandered and dragged through the mud so much that Republicans are more willing to go with another Democrat than him. I'm not sure. It could very well happen. Republicans are known to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in this state. 
But Jeff Landry is incredibly popular. He's the second most popular Republican in the state behind John Kennedy. If Kennedy were running, Kennedy would win. If Kennedy's not running, Jeff Landry is the most likely person to win here. The question becomes, does John Schroeder think he can take away enough of that support to split the vote and get into a runoff with Landry? Because if he can get into a runoff with Landry, he may be able to peel off some moderate and even Democratic voters. But that depends on who the Democrats put forward. Do they put forward a Gary Chambers? Do they put forward a Dr. Sean Wilson? Do they put forward Luke Mixon or some other milk toast, uh, uncharismatic person like Mixon? I don't think the Democrats are going to be able to get through with that with a white candidate for governor. I just don't think it's going to happen. The question is, what black candidate can they put forward to rally the 66% of their own base that is a black voter? And the answer is probably Sean Wilson, because Sean Wilson can also peel away a lot of independent and moderate vote, even in this area, because he's well-known and well-liked. Look at the I-10 situation. Look at that overpass over Evangeline. Wilson has been out there. He's been getting information out. His Department of Transportation and Development has absolutely been getting the information out there and doing so effectively and making sure there is as little interruption as possible. He doesn't have the name ID that Jeff Landry does across the state, but he has it in some places that are important, like here. And a black candidate is going to get a large chunk of that Democratic black vote. So it's not. It's not impossible for Landry to still win, but it's much harder. And it's going to be a free for all. And there's going to be a lot of people coming after Landry, and there's not going to be as many people coming after John Schroeder and Billy Nungesser and Sean Wilson or anybody else like that. All of the. All the sites are on Jeff Landry. Can he survive it? I think he can, but it's going to be incredibly tough. All right, let's take our final break of the day. When we come back, a few minutes left. Your calls, your thoughts on the KPL app and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. And there's one story I want to get to with the few minutes I've got left in the day, because I think it's one of the most important stories nobody's really paying attention to. People who look at labor issues and uh, and workforce issues are paying attention. But the, the House news is really kind of overwhelming the news cycle right now. So nobody is really paying attention to what I think is probably one of the biggest news stories in labor and economy today. The U.S. government, the FTC, is pushing out a rule that bans non-compete clauses from worker contracts. What does that mean? Under non-compete clauses, you cannot go to work for a competitor, somebody in the same industry, for a certain amount of time if that's what your employer chooses to do. You see it a lot of time in healthcare, especially for doctors. 
You see it uh, in the tech industry outside of California. Now, in California, the state government has already banned non-compete clauses. And as a result, you see the, the tech folks in California get paid an insane amount of money to keep them loyal. And you also see a lot of innovation in tech, but if, because if somebody can afford to pay you more, you can bring your ideas and your creativity to that other company, make more money, and that company can then use you for their innovation. It's already illegal to take trade secrets from one place and take it to another. You can't do that, but what you can do is offer your own ideas that maybe you haven't implemented yet at the old place, your new innovations, and bring it to the new place. And so there's non-compete clauses across the country. The problem is this isn't the first time that the government's talked about it, but it really becomes an interstate commerce issue. And ultimately, it is a regulation on private business, which we do need to be wary of. There is huge economic disruption that could come from this. A, a significant number of companies, even small ones, rely on these in a, as part of this complex series of keeping trade secrets, confidentiality clauses, all of that, and customer lists. And for those to suddenly become more available to other companies, that makes it easier to do a few things. For one thing, a bigger company can come in, find an, an employee at a smaller one, and buy them up very quickly. And that non-compete clause being there means they can get access to a whole lot that that small company did. You can put a lot of small companies out of business with this. And that's just one aspect of looking at it. But there are a lot of ways that this could affect innovation, competitiveness. Uh, it can affect the business sector quite a bit. It's a very interesting move from the federal government. I'm not sure it's the right one, but it is a major, major rule change that nobody's really paying attention to. And you need to pay attention to it because it could even affect you and your business or your employer. All right, y'all, 23 hours until I'm back. Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham. Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Check me out on Substack, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. And as always, would love to talk with you. Email joe at redstate.com. Love speaking with you guys. We'll do it again tomorrow here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL.